0: Tonight, we're going to be in uh, Psalms 37. Uh, we're moving, moving right along. Uh, I think Kevin figured it up. How old are you going to be when we get out of Psalms? I think 38 and a half. 38 and a half? Okay. Um, Psalms 37 is a little bit uh, different uh, in the way that it's laid out than uh, maybe the other Psalms. Uh, it's kind of like Proverbs in a way, um, it has just little bits of, of wisdom and information. Uh, as you as you go through it but I think there are some things and it's a little bit different because I think it's David and as we see the later verse it's David at an older age giving some advice giving some things that he has learned from serving God um, and kind of telling that it's almost like we're you know just almost like you're going to be sitting there drinking coffee with David and listening to the advice that he gives and how we can uh, live our lives and it's I really like this psalm because I think it deals with some things of how we can face the future, how we're supposed to live as Christians, our attitude, how we think, because there's a lot of things in this psalm that um, I think can really help us if we struggle with these things, and I think we all do to a certain extent. So let's read a few verses and and discuss them here tonight. Let's go through uh, verse 11. It says, Do not fret because of evildoers. Nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass, and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good, dwell in the land and, and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light. Your justice as the noonday? Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will be careful, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. So here, I, I think, pretty well sums up pretty much what the whole psalm is, in just these few verses. And it's basically, don't fret, don't get... Uh, if you go back to, and I'm not a, a Greek scholar, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, um, but as someone once said, I am smart enough to read those who are. <laughs> um, and if you go back to actually the word fret, it's almost like uh, keep your cool is what it's saying. Don't, don't get angry, don't get frustrated because of this. And it says don't fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. So he's talking about two things, if we want to live our best Christian life, if we want to live our best life in serving God, don't look out and see what the world is doing and, and get mad because they may seem to be prospering. Don't look out and be envious because they may have something that, that you think that you want or that you need. Um, think about this. If, if a person is going to get jealous of somebody else, what is it usually over? You ever been jealous of somebody? Envious of somebody? What is it usually about? Possessions, money, material things. Uh, They seem to maybe have the perfect family. They may seem to have the perfect job. They may seem to have all the money they want. And that's the thing. They may seem to have. But we don't have the whole picture, do we? And even if they do, even if we look out and we say, they have everything that I want. What does it really matter? You know, if they seem to be prospering and we've just spread and get anxious about that, we get upset about that, we get envious about that, this world is only for a little time, isn't it? I mean, the space of this world, I mean, is just, say we live to be a 100. It's only a little time when it compares to eternity. So why would we get upset about these things? But it also... Notice what he says here, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall be soon cut down like the grass, wither as the green herb. It's not going to last. So no matter how much they prosper here, you know, as the Bible says, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? I'm out of batteries. I can hear myself. I think. I couldn't hear Jimmy, but I can. I was in a flow, where was I? Uh, <laughs> uh, but God knows exactly who these pe- these individuals are. But again, it, it's it's all how we view it. You know, we look and be envious, or we look and, and we're upset about it. It's like I heard somebody explain it one time. Say you've got this camera. On this individual, he's he's a very prosperous person. He's a wicked person, you know. It's somebody that you may look at and envious, and it's just showing this individual, and he's eating the best meal that you could ever think. What's the best meal you could think you could eat? What do you think it is? Steak, lobster, what? Filet mignon. mignon. Okay, he's eating filet mignon. He's got lobster. He's got his little all grotten potatoes, whatever. He's got. I mean, it's just the best meal, and you've got this. Uh, poor guy over here, he's not eating hardly anything. So you've got two pictures of these individuals. And, and you look at this, this one person that's eating this wonderful meal and he just so envious. Or maybe this person over here that don't seem like he has the best of things. And, and he looks at this picture of this other individual and he's just eating just the best meal you could think of. And he's just envious. You look at it and you're just getting frustrated. Why can somebody eat something like that and I'm not able to? But then the camera can widen out, and yeah, that person's eating a wonderful meal, but he's actually in prison. That's his last meal. He's on death row. Are we envious of him now? We were envious of him when all we seen him just eating the meal. Envious of him when, when it appeared like he had everything that he wanted. He could afford this great meal. But when you really see the whole picture, it's his last meal. So what we actually are envious, and the point is this, what we may be envious or we may be upset about may not be exactly what we're seeing. We may only see that one little thing. Then you look at this person over here that seems like uh, uh, they're not eating steak, they're not eating lobster, but you spread that out, they've got a wonderful family, everything. they've got everything that they need. It may not be material things, but they've got a loving family around them, they've got God's word that they're studying, I mean, so it, it when you think of it in terms of this, when you really look and see what you actually get upset about, you really look and see what we're afraid about, I think that's what David is saying. Don't fret because they're going to be just like grass. It just withers away. Yeah, it may look, they may look green for a little while, but it's about to turn brown and die. It doesn't last very long. So what we think we're seeing that we get so upset about, does it really matter when it comes down to it? I mean, really think about, it. I try to think back of, of maybe something that I've looked at individuals that I thought, well, I wish I just had that. You know, I, whether it was, uh, uh, maybe had a person, you know, they, they look a certain way, they act a certain way, they have certain talents, they look like they have certain abilities, they, they look like they just have everything in the world, and I think back now and I think, did they really, was it really what I thought it was? And if it was, did it really matter anyway? I mean, we, we spend time and, you know, it, it really comes down to worry and, and anxiety and looking out. And all these things are over things usually, one, either out of our control, or two, isn't what we think it is to begin with. You know, when Jesus talked about, uh, uh, about worry, you know, he said... Can we add one cubit to our statue? Think of some of the things we fret over. Some of the things we worry about. Can we really change them? Is, is there really anything we can do about it? Is and if we did, are we better off if we did? I mean, if we really could change and really could have that, it's like someone said. You know, uh, uh, I, and I could remember this as a kid. You remember that Christmas you got a bicycle? You may ever get a bicycle when they were little. Wasn't that a great Christmas? I, I still remember the, when I got a bicycle. Well, were you always happy with just a bicycle? Sooner or later you're riding that bicycle and somebody comes through on a motorcycle or somebody comes through on a car, in a car, then that bicycle is not as great as we first thought that it was because now we see something else. And we get something else and then we see, okay, I want this better car. Or we see this one or we see, you know, where does it ever end? And that's what he's saying here at the beginning. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like grass and wither as a green herb. But notice, he changes here. Trust in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Trust in the Lord and do good. So he says here first, don't worry. He's telling us not to fret. Uh, He's telling us that that these things that we think just going to last forever doesn't last that long, no matter what it is we think this individual is prospering or how well we think they're doing, then he says this, do good. David says that we're not to worry, but we are to continue to do good. And he tells us there's some ways in which we do this. One, trust in the Lord. David says we've got to trust in the Lord. Too often we do not enjoy what we have because we're too busy looking at someone else's possessions and we forget about the blessings that we have in God. You know, should our perspective and priorities change when we become a Christian? Should we think differently? Should we want different things? Should we not want all the things that we thought we wanted? Our life changes. What's important changes. And it comes down to our trust in God. When we trust in God and we continue to do those good things that he wants us to do, then that's when this fretting this worrying this uh about what somebody else has or is doing starts to ease up but when we forget that we forget that eternal purpose we start as paul says we start walking by sight and not by faith then that's when those carnal things start creeping in that's when those material things start creeping in but long as we look past that we look farther than what we're just seeing around us then it becomes a little bit different perspective. He says, delight yourself in the Lord. Second, David tells us to find our delight in the Lord, not to try to find happiness in the things of the world. Material things, Just uh, they just continue to, um, to let us down, uh, just plain and simple. Uh, the material things don't end up being what we think they're going to be. Um, true happiness is achieved when we delight ourselves in the Lord. Now, he says here, when he talks about delighting in the Lord, notice what he says, verse 4. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. So, does that mean that if I'm a child of God, that God's going to give me whatever it is that I want? You know, I I delight myself in the Lord, so he's going to give me the desires of my heart. But think about this, if I'm delighting myself in the Lord, what are the desires of my heart going to be? Yeah, they're going to be different, aren't they? They're not going to be the same. My delight is going to be doing things for him. My delight is going to be knowing all I can about him. My delight is going to be living for him the very best that I can. And the desires of my heart are going to be that. You know, it's, it's where my desire is going to be to want to. I don't have to come to church. I want to come to worship God. I don't have to come to a Bible study. I want to come and study the Bible collectively with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I, I want to do these. It's all about, uh, it goes back to what's in our heart. And that's the reason why I said not necessarily as well. Just because, you know, as we become Christians, our desires will change. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I, absolutely. You know, you think about, um, well, we don't think like the world anymore. Our priorities are different. We're no longer in the dark. We're in the light. And we can see things different when we're in the light. Well, when we think about the desire to the heart, a lot of times God is going to protect us from ourselves. What we believe is a desire, he is not going to give us because, I mean, how many times have we said that at at the moment we think we just kind of have this, but then whether it's Yeah, to think Yeah. You from yeah there, there's things, because I don't see, the, remember, all I see is the little picture of the guy eating the great meal, I don't see the big picture of, that's his last one, you know, I, I only see what's right in front of me, so I may want this, but in the end it may not be good for me, you know, Uh Look, uh, I think Lot's a good example of that. You know, Lot got to pick wherever he wanted to, and he, he looked what was pleasing to his eye that he thought could, could benefit him financially, not what was necessarily good for his family. You know, and, and we start looking at that and realizing, okay, am I the best judge of what I want? Because here's the thing. It's no longer my life now, is it? it, it it's my life in, in Christ Remember, as Colossians tells us, we put on Christ. It's no longer me. It's, it's him. So I give up my desire. I, 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 I desire to follow him now. I, I die to myself daily. So in doing that, that desire of my heart is going to totally change from, from what it was. Um, and that's not an easy thing to do. I mean, it's easy to stand up here and say, oh, as Christians, you shouldn't want these things out in the world. As Christians, you shouldn't want to live that way. It's not that easy. We're around this every day. As Paul says, we've got to live in this world. We see this, you know. It's like my grandma always said nobody wanted Cadillac. Everybody was happy riding the mule till they seen in a mule until these things are made of Cadillac. Then they want Cadillac, you know. That's what it is. You see what's out there, and you start thinking. And then that's where it comes in to where, well, I serve God. That's where some of this health and wealth preaching comes in, especially when it comes to verses like this, that if we delight in the Lord, he's going to give us the desires of his heart. I've heard preachers say, well, God wants me to have this, uh, uh, this particular car. God wants. I heard a preacher one night, a televangelist, I don't know if I could call him a preacher, but he said, you know, God wanted me to have this plane. You know, he wanted me to have this. He told me one day when I was riding in this little Volkswagen Bug that, you know, don't worry, one day you're going to have that jet airplane. You're going to fly all over, the, you know. I've not heard God tell me that. You know, I, 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 don't, I don't believe that's what this verse is talking about. But we do have to make sure, especially as David gets in and talks here, as he said in his, own age, uh, his older age, he's not seen the righteous forsaken or begging bread. And, and what he's meaning by that is God is going to take care of us. He's going to give us our needs, but our needs change. Our priorities change. You know, I, I think in the world it's hard to distinguish between a need and a want, isn't it? it you know, I, I need that microwave to cook something within five seconds. You know, I don't want it that way. I need it that way. I've got to have that gratification right now. So it's hard for us to distinguish between a need and a want anymore. And God is telling us, okay, he's going to take care of us. He'll never forsake us. He'll give us the things that we need. I have to make sure I understand what that is. That it's not all these wants in the world. Because if I gain the whole world and lose my soul, what do I have? If if I spent, and there's nothing wrong with wealth. There's a lot of faithful biblical characters that were very wealthy. There's nothing wrong with wealth. I can lose my soul for a dollar just like I can a million dollars. The amount has nothing to do with it. The attitude toward it is what has to do with it. And he he describes here, uh, as he goes down through, and we're going to get to this, the difference in how a Christian or how someone that serves God acts with the possessions that they have and somebody in the wicked, that's wicked, that's serving in the world, how they do. But he tells us, he tells us to trust in the Lord. He tells us to delight ourself in the Lord. Commit our ways to the Lord, he says. David says we have to make a commitment to God to serve him. We can't be wishy-washy or half-hearted servants and expect to receive what God's promised us. You know, God has, has, has promised us a lot of things. And, and we expect him to deliver on this. This isn't, okay, God, you'll do this if I do this. It's not necessarily just about that. It's about God said, here's what I'm going to do. It's, it's like a, a parent to a child. You know, if you let me, if our children will let us, we'll protect them to the very best of our ability, won't we? But there's sometimes as they grow up, some of the choices that they make, it's hard for us to protect them because they're not committed to the process anymore, are they? They're not committed to what your ways are that you're trying to do. They're, they're trying to find something else over here, and, and, and trying to find things through the world because the world looks better. The grass is greener on the other side. And it's, it's hard to, uh, to do that. And I think that's what the position we put God in a lot of times. You know, God said, here's what I'm going to do for you, but if I step out and rebel against him, I'm not allowing him to do that. I'm keeping him from doing that. He's not left. It's that I've left. So we've got to commit ourselves uh, to God. Be still and wait patiently. Our, our challenge is to wait for God. Justice will come. That, that's, I, I tell you, if there's not anything else, and this might tell you how my brain works, if, if I don't get anything else out of song, one thing I like is this, this sense of, of justice, of vindication. Not revenge, but vindication. Christians will be... Vindicated. These people that are doing whatever they want to out in the world. All this entitlement and oh, it's all about me and what I get. And we seem to sometimes as Christians, it it doesn't seem to work out that way. And it seems like they try to turn it back on Christians. There's going to be when God wrath comes upon the wicked, it also vindicates the child of God. David says that many times. So we need to wait patiently from him. And refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Uh, Sometimes it's easy to to be angry at our circumstances. Be angry because of what we think somebody else is getting that we're not. Have you ever been frustrated or angry because of what somebody else had that you didn't have? I think I can honestly say I think I probably have been. I, I think I've just got angry about it, upset about it frustrated about it because it just doesn't seem right i think that was job's whole argument life isn't fair you know what god told him basically you're right it's not it's not fair it's not going to be fair it's not going to look fair but that doesn't change what god does for us it doesn't change his love for us and it doesn't change us serving him toward the end we can receive what he tells us we're going to receive. He doesn't promise us fairness in this world, does he? No, he, he, he doesn't. And that just doesn't seem fair within itself. And we get frustrated and can get angry with that. But notice verse 11 again. He says, but the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. David said, you know, said the meek. Inherit the land and enjoy great peace. He's, he's contrasting this end result with the consequences of the wicked. The wicked will be cut off. And in a little while, they will be no more. But God is going to uh, strike down those people who practice evil. And the meek will inherit the land of great peace. In other words, you know, when uh, you, you, you think about what God has promised just like he promised in the Old Testament, the, the promised land. Okay, here's, here's what's going to happen. If you stay true to me, you'll receive this promised land. Well, those that stayed true to him did. And he tells us the same thing. And if it seems familiar, it's because Jesus quoted this in Matthew chapter 5. When he was given the, the Beatitudes there. Uh, Jesus is saying the same thing. The meek. Now, what's the definition of someone that's meek? If you think of someone that's meek, what do you think about? Somebody's pushed over? What? Someone that keeps their cool. Yeah. I, th- I think that's the perfect definition of you. Someone that, that keeps their cool. That, someone that meek is someone that doesn't mean they're weak. It means they're able to keep their cool within the circumstances that they're in. And that's what David is talking about, not Freddie. And I think Jesus is a perfect example of this. Meekness is strength, uh, and power controlled, being able to control that. And Jesus is a perfect example of that. Think about everything that was done to him and the power that he had to stop it. And he didn't do it, did he? You know, you think about that. I I tell you, the first slap or the first spit on me, I mean, they'd been fired and brimstone in a second. I mean, woof. It'd be DRT, dead right there. It'd been over. I mean, there's no, I I couldn't have controlled it, I don't believe. But look at what the perfect example did. They spit on him. They slapped him. They scourged him. They, They did all of this and crucified him. Him having the power to do something, and what he used was he did what God's will was. He was meek. Doesn't mean he was a pushover. Doesn't mean he just rolled over and said, okay, just, you know, I, I can't do anything about it. It was strength and, and power with control. And, and that's what we see. We, we see this that's going on, even if I do have the power to change something. It, is it really worth it to do it? You know, I, I've thought about this before in everyday life, and especially uh, in marriage sometimes. How important is it really to be right in the end sometimes, on some matters. I'm not talking about doctrinal things. I'm just talking about, I'm the type of person if if I know I'm right, I'm gonna go through great lengths to make sure you know I'm right. And sometimes what we're trying to prove in certain situations, does it really matter to anyway? I mean, what's that? It's not worked well sometimes, but I was right. My wife's even told me before, "Are you happy? You're right, but are you happy now? No, I'm not. You know, <laughs> I, I'd rather I'd rather just dropped it and and been happy, than you know what is it? Someone said you can't be right and happy all at the same time. What's that? Well, try to that I, I I'll try to remember it, but I I usually don't in the moment. Know the uh, you know, I'm like I, I'm right on this. I, whether it's you know give them direction somewhere or whether it's you know proving the point here and that's the thing okay say you do have the power to change something in some circumstances but is it really worth the consequences in the end what what have we really achieved what have we really accomplished what good have we achieved by doing that sometimes the best thing to do is nothing you just say well i've got to prove my point i've got to stand up for this Sometimes the best thing to do in some situations is nothing in that particular time. Um, I've even had this, but let me just throw this out here. I've even had that sometimes in a, a someone would, would say something. I, I can remember going to a gospel meeting one time, and, and someone was riding with us that was going. And, and they said something that, um, how, how did they say it? wasn't what they said necessarily was wrong but it wasn't necessarily right either when it comes to uh, some biblical things um normally i would have just jumped on that right away you know i would have just you know but i just felt in that moment that wasn't the right time to do it it wasn't going to accomplish anything with the attitude and the mood in which this person was in um so I had the power to say something and possibly change that, but I don't know if the consequences, you understand? I, I don't know if what would have resulted would have been a good result at that particular time. Um, and, and we've got to make sure to kind of read the room sometimes. What's that? If well, and for so i had to go through that because the was not as should be Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah, and they took him aside, yeah. yeah. I, I can remember telling someone one time they were talking about uh, going up and actually standing up in the congregation and, and saying something to the preacher, you know. And, and while they were saying that, uh, I told them, I said, you know, if somebody was to do that to me, I don't think I'd listen to anything they said if they were to come at me like that. And they said, well, it was the truth whether they wanted to hear it or not. They need to hear it then. I, and I use that as an example. I said, why not pull them aside and talk to them about it instead of, one, embarrassing them and then making them upset, and then the whole situation would be, you may be right in what you're saying, but how you do it can be totally wrong. And, and we've got to be careful with that. And I think that's what he's talking about here when he talks about how we're to deal and how we're to think about what we're seeing out in the world, um, I mean, what good would it come up to bang our head our hands and and, and yell at somebody who we think we that's prospering that we think is just living so wrong and they're prospering. What possible good are we gonna accomplish at that particular time? We get so upset about it. And if we did have everything that they had, what do we still have? If that's all we had. You know, again, if we gain the whole world and lose our soul, what do we have? We don't have anything. So we've got to make sure to, to think about that as we do. Um, again, when you think about what meekness is, it's not, it, it's, it's controlling yourselves in the situations that we find ourselves in. We can't ever let circumstances or what we think of circumstances is determine how we act. And the best way I heard somebody describe it to me one time is say, never react to anything. Always act. Because if you react to something, it's always going to be wrong. Always make sure you're acting uh, because you've got a clear head then. That's why, isn't that why the Bible tells us be sober, be vigilant? Because your adversary, the devil, is walking around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may uh, 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 devour. Be sober, vigilant. Be clear thinking and vigilant. To be in control of what you're thinking and doing, because Satan is always out there trying to get you to do something else. Uh, We all have triggers, don't we? I mean, you all have little buttons that can be pushed that can just trigger us, can't we? And there's some people who knows what those buttons are. We've got to make sure that we're in control of those buttons. Nobody else is, we can't let someone else be in control of our emotions, be in control of our actions. It has to be us. And we've got to make sure that we're doing the right thing. And again, that's easier said than done. Uh, we don't always act the right way. We don't always say the right thing. Um, that's why we always have to make a decision. I used to tell a teenage boys class, uh, every time we talk about any kind of issues going on in the world, I'd always say, don't ever wait till you're in the situation to make a decision. Because you'll always make the wrong decision in the moment. Don't ever make it in the moment decide in the beginning, and and we always think, well, I can never know what I'm gonna face, so how can I make the decision ahead of time? It doesn't matter what you're facing, make the decision that you're not going to react, make the decision that you're going to do the right thing when you're faced with it. it. It's a lot easier to make that decision then than it is in the moment. Because when you make it in the moment, I don't know that I've ever made the right decision in the moment, because emotions always made the decision Thinking didn't. The motion did. And, and when the motion did, you, you get, you know, anger and, and, and things of this, all these things that come in that we've got to be under control. That we can't, we can't have the works of the flesh. We've got to make sure we're producing the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit is what? Kindness and gentleness, self-control. That's what we need to have in our, our, our bag of tricks, as it were. That way, when somebody pushes their button, that button don't work for them. Circumstances don't determine what my feelings are, or it shouldn't. That doesn't mean I'm always happy about them, but I can control them, but it takes practice. It takes habit. I've got to get in the habit of doing that. And sometimes we just don't want to get in that habit. Any other thoughts before we move on? As I said, this one, we won't ever get through the 40 verses here. But to me, the first part of this psalm pretty well sums up uh, this whole psalm. Um, Look, starting in verse 12. It says, The wicked plots against the just and gnash at him with his teeth. The Lord laughs at him, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked have drawn the sword and have bent their bow to cast down the poor and the needy, to slay those who are of upright conduct. Their sword shall enter their own heart. Their bow shall be broken." A little that a righteous man has is better than the riches of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and the days of famine they shall be satisfied. A couple of things here. David has mentioned this before. Uh, even Job did to a certain extent. You know, when, when man tries to wage war against god and how he does that is against god's people and get god just laughs at him what what is it that we can accomplish when we try to rebel against god and his people we're not going to accomplish it it's not like we're going to win so what do you really have and that's why it says here you know we look out there and we see the enemy they've got their their sword up they've got their bow and their arrow you know drawn back they're they're ready to attack we can be in a fearful state. What does God do? He laughs at them. He laughs at their, their, their futile efforts of trying to accomplish what they want to accomplish because he knows they're not going to. But what we have to know is they're not going to. In the end, they're going to lose. And that's how we have to look at it. We have to make sure that we're looking past now even when it seems like we're losing, even when it seems like we're downtrodden, even though it seems like we're beating. As Paul said many times, you look at all the things that Paul went through, and he talks about how uh, all these things happen, we're, we're not crushed, we're, we're not going to stop. So they kill us. Okay, <laughs> is that the worst that they can do? God can do far worse than that. So when you look at it in terms of that, that changes The Christian's thinking, doesn't it? That changes our perspective. That changes our priority. Then the wicked doesn't have the power that they think they have over us. The only power they have is what we give them. Again, if they're able to push our buttons, then we have given them the power to do that. When they're able to do that against us, we've given them that power. And we've got to make sure not to do that. So again, watch what he says, the, the, plot, the wicked plot against the righteous, they gnash their teeth at them, we're, we're, we're terrified when we read these words, and, but we see that God laughs at the wicked, why? Look at verse 20, but the wicked shall perish, and the enemies of the Lord, like the splendor of the meadow, shall vanish into smoke, they shall vanish away. There's vindication, you know, we always think about it, there, there's the vindication, and and, and sometimes there's individuals that have, have trouble with how, how David talks about enemies and how he approaches God about his enemies because it's almost like, okay, God, stop them, devour them, destroy them. To, and Jesus says, we've got to pray for our enemies. David is praying that the enemy won't accomplish their goal, that God is going to stop them. And it's about, it's about trusting in God not trusting in anything else. He trusts that God's going to stop that. The enemy in the end is not going to prevail. You know, I, I still think about that when, when we discussed this in another psalm. But, you know, when Jesus tells me pray for my enemies, I'm not going to pray that, Lord, just please let them accomplish against me what they want to accomplish. Please let them be able to hurt me like they want to hurt me. Please let them be able to do things to me that they want to do. That's not what he's talking about when it's about praying for our enemies. It's, it's about that they'll change their ways, that they want to accomplish the things that they're going to accomplish. And as God says, I've not forgotten about this. I know what they're due to them. God knows every bit of blood that's spilled. God knows everything that's done to his children. He, 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 knows, he knows this, and we can take comfort in that. I don't have to, That's why he says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. What, what is it that I can do greater than God can do at the end anyway? nothing when it compares uh compares to god notice verse 25 through 26 he says i've been young and now am old yet i have not seen the righteous forsaken nor his descendants begging bread he is ever merciful and lends and his descendants are blessed so here again another verse that some of these health and wealth preachers uh get to where it says well you never see descendants begging bread. You, God's not going to forsake you. Here's what, he's talking about how, how a child of God views the things in which they have and how we view the things that, that are God's. We've got what we need. Matter of fact, we not only got what we need, I'm able to lend to others. It may look like that I've only got one piece of bread, but you know what? I'll have that with somebody. I'll give that to somebody that's in need. The wicked wouldn't do that. Wicked wants to hoard all that they can. The child of God is going to say, I've, I've got more than I can need, and you could always, you know, I can always share with somebody else who's less fortunate than me. We, we, we're able to look at it as it's not mine, it's God's. And I told you before, I learned this lesson in India really quick. First village I went to, everything that I had with me that I took that first village, I gave every bit of it at that first village. Now, not what was back at the room or at the compound, but what I took out that I was supposed to go to five different villages, I spent in one village. It was just devastating. I was not expecting what I seen, you know. So in the car ride, going the next one, Brother Roger was over here beside of me, and uh, I felt awkward. I was like, okay, the next one I'm going to have to give this to this preacher. Can I use some of yours until we get back to the room? to the compound, then I'll give it back to you when we get there. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, it's not mine, it's all God's anyways, it doesn't matter. I mean, he was just like, why are you even asking? Well, of course I'm going to do that. It's not my money, it's God's money. And, and it really taught me a lesson, because I was looking at, okay, I spent what I had. I didn't spend what I had, I was using what God had, it's all God's anyway. We're just stewards of it, no matter what it is. Our family, our children, our possessions, we're just stewards. And when we look at it in that way then we're going to view how we treat others differently. We're not going to try to hoard it, oh, I'm going to build bigger barns. Look at all that i got. Let me build some bigger barns. We're going to look at it, look what I have. How can I help somebody else with it? The Lord's blessed me with more Then I can bless somebody else with something. And that's, that's the difference in how uh, uh, children of God look and how the world looks. Look at verse 30 and 31. The mouth of the righteous speak wisdom, his tongue talks of justice. The law of his God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. We must have the law of the Lord in our hearts and in our minds at all times. Um, and this goes back to study. It goes, See, David's able to say this in his old age because David s- spent time with God, he, getting to know God, getting to understand God as far as what God has revealed to him. And until we do that, we're not going to be able to live the way that God wants us to live um, unless we do that. But look at verse 16, and I want us to go back and, and just kind of uh, live with that. Did I put verse 16 at the end? Yeah, can you go back to that? It says, a little that a righteous man has is better than the riches of many wicked. I think that should be on our refrigerator, shouldn't it? When we look out in the world and we see what, what the, we think the world has, just remember what little that we may think we have, that it's little, it's still greater than what the world has, isn't it? And I think if we remember that, I think that would go a long way with us living the life that God wants us to live. appreciate you listening.